Hey everybody, Sal Capaccio here, WGR Sports Radio 550, Bill Sideline Reporter, inviting you to do what I do every Wednesday and Friday night. That's check out 30 Minutes Live with CDP, coming at you from Ontario, right on your Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube channels. You can check it out every Wednesday and Friday night, just like I do. 30 Minutes Live with CDP. Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to uh, this special edition of uh, Monday Night Live with CDP podcast on this Monday, December 6th. Uh, originally, it was supposed to be scheduled for last Monday, but unfortunately, something came up. Uh, personal matter where I could not do the podcast last Monday with uh, Mark McKelvey, uh, the TV voice of the Owen Sound Attack uh, for Rogers TV. And he also uh, does some uh, color analyst uh, on the attack radio station. Uh, with Fred Wallace for uh, some uh, attack um, road games. And also he uh, fills in uh, sometimes for the Gulf Storm uh, TV games with Rogers and sometimes fills in for Steve Fitzsimmons or is uh, the color analyst as well. And I've known Mark for a number of years and uh, he's a huge sports fan and he loves his own sound attack. And I'm looking forward to speaking to uh, uh, Scott tonight, Mark. I met Mark, his, his father, I know his father too, Scott McKelvey, really super nice guy. And uh, I'm looking forward to speaking to Mark about the return of the OHL and being back with uh, Rogers TV doing the Owen Sound attack games and get his views on how the attack are doing so far this year. Uh, right now, they're the attack are currently fifth in the Western Conference at 10 wins, nine losses and one overtime loss. Uh, they've played London, I believe, six times this year, and five of those six games have been one-goal games. So they have played the London Knights uh, very tough this season so far, but they haven't had a lot of success against them. So uh, anyways, guys, just bear with me, and hopefully Mark will be with us shortly. Uh, like I said, I'm looking forward to speaking to Mark about the uh, attack and uh, the OHL and uh, his career in hockey as well. So, And you can also follow Mark on Twitter at Mark. 14 McKelvey as well. And uh, like I said, guys, uh, you got Monday night football on tonight too. Uh, you got the new England Patriots eight and four first in the AFC taking on the second place Buffalo bills, seven and four. Uh, basically the battle for the AFC East tonight and number one seed in the AFC. Uh, we'll see what happens. Mac Jones against Josh Allen. Uh, the Patriots are 15 and two in their last 17 games at Highmark Stadium in Archer Park. A weather could be a factor tonight with high winds. So that's going to affect uh, the Patriots and the Bills uh, passing attacks. I think it'll affect Buffalo more than New England. New England has a really solid running game. Uh, with uh, Damian Harris and Stevenson. And uh, Mac Jones knows how to throw the five to 10 yard passes. So I really think uh, even with the Bills being in their own stadium, I think the weather could hurt their offense because the Bills like to throw the ball and they like to throw it deep. So um, tonight, I think a running game is going to be critical. And whoever runs the ball the best will win this game tonight. I think running the ball and turnovers are going to be a factor in this game. So I'm predicting, I'm predicting the Patriots to win 24 to 17. So we'll see what happens. The Buffalo Bills have not won a Monday night football game in Orchard Park since 1994 against John Elway in the Denver Broncos. So it's been a long time. Uh, they haven't had a whole lot of Monday night games since 94 in Orchard Park. I think this is maybe their fourth since 1994 i'm not believe i'm not sure i'm, I'm guessing they're fourth or fifth since 1994 so they're looking for the first uh 
home Monday night game win since 1994. If you guys can give me a minute or two, I'm going to bring on the TV voice of the Ontario Hockey League's own sound attack, Mark McKelvey, and I'm really looking forward to uh, speaking to Mark tonight. Just one moment, and I'm going to bring on the uh, the voice of the attack. Hey, Mark, how you doing, buddy? Great. How are things, Chris? Good. Can you hear and see me okay? Yeah, we're all good. Good. Have you ever been on StreamYard before? Uh, I've used it a couple of times, actually, just through some uh, through some different projects uh, at the racetrack, actually. Yeah. So uh, very yeah. familiar with it and a uh, great platform. Gives you a great chance to, to bring on guests. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, I, I learned it about a year ago from my friend in Philadelphia. He said, if you want a professional podcast, try StreamYard. And he was really great in showing me how it works and stuff. And and you can do like a basic one. You can do a professional one. And, and it's mm-hmm. really, the technology is just amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, it's great that you can connect people, right? I mean, how long ago were we, uh, it'd be impossible to track down somebody so many miles away to get them for an interview. Now you can do it in the snap of a finger. Yeah, I even had one guest on from Australia, so oh. I was just amazing. I was a little dicey with the Wi-Fi connection on their end, but it was amazing, 10,000 miles away, and I could talk to them on here. Exactly. Definitely. So, hey, I really appreciate you coming on tonight, Mark, and uh, thanks for letting me uh, uh, reschedule this to, to tonight. Yeah, of course, uh, anytime. Yes. Um, I was going to say, um, what's the latest with the Owen Sound attack? I guess you guys just split a home-and-home home with Flint. Yeah, they had two games against Flint on the weekend. Both were in Owen Sound, so it's kind of unusual to see that. But with the the way the schedule is this year with all the teams playing pretty much just within their conference, you're going to see some some back-to-back, sometimes with those longer trips. But uh, I guess the story of this weekend was uh, it was quite an, uh, an emotional roller coaster for the Owen Sound attack. They, they played the Kitchener Rangers on Friday night in what was a, a game that uh, the temperature was uh, at a very high setting going into that game after the last time those teams had played, and it was a uh, – a game that included a lot of uh, animosity on Friday evening and Owen Sound ultimately came up short. And unfortunately coming out of that game, uh, they ended up being shorthanded for the weekend, losing uh, their top two uh, older defensemen, that being Mark Willie and Andrew Parrott. So they didn't have them available for those two games against Flint. And uh, I thought they played pretty well in both of those games against Flint on Saturday. They fell seven to four, uh, an empty net goal sealed the deal for the Firebirds. It wasn't a whole lot separating those two teams, but I, I thought Owen Sound could have uh, come away with a victory there. Again, it was a bit of a toss up. And then it was a, the same on Sunday. I, I thought both teams played really well, considering it was uh, their final game of the weekend for Owen Sound. It was their third game in two and a half days for Flint. It was their third game in four days. And uh, it was a good tempo and, and Owen Sound came out on top three to two. So, uh, at the end of the weekend, they only got two out of a possible six points. But that being said, uh, I thought the effort was there. And um, it's really tight in the Western Conference, as you know. Uh, right now, uh, it seems anybody could beat anybody on any given day. Yeah, even the last place theory Otters, with their coaching change, I find they play hard. And there's no give-me games anymore in the Ontario Hockey League. Even if a team's uh, struggling in the standings, a lot of these teams all come to play hard. Yeah, right about that. And I know Erie's had their struggles, like you said, but uh, they had a big win on uh, Thursday uh, in Windsor where they came back and they tied the game in the final second and then won it in overtime. So sometimes games like that can really, uh, you know, galvanize a group and and bring them together. And and hopefully for uh, those in Erie, that team's going to continue to start and chip away and get some points. Obviously, they dug themselves a bit of a hole, but uh, look at the Sarnia Sting. They didn't have the the best of starts and, and they've really made some noise as of late. So uh, it's it's there's good parity in the league this year, which I think is really good uh, considering uh, coming out of the pandemic. Uh, we weren't really sure uh, yeah. which teams were going to be the best teams. There was so much turnover. But the one thing is, I think when you haven't had hockey for a year, for a lot of those teams from a business uh, standpoint, they need their teams to have success, right? They need to keep 
bringing fans in. And if you have a real down year coming out of the pandemic, uh, where you maybe finish at the bottom of the standings and you're not selling as many tickets, that could have a, a lingering impact for many more years to come. So it's good to see everybody kind of hovering around 500 uh, when it comes to mid-pack there. And then obviously you got a couple teams up towards the top. The Guelph Storm are doing great and, and the London Knights as well. How's Owen Sound's attendance so far this year? It's picking up, but just like everybody, I think you always have to remember that even coming out of COVID, I should say even before COVID, the very start of the year can be a little light for teams, if, especially if the weather's still nice uh, up in Owen Sound. There's obviously a lot to do outdoors. And I think, too, you have to keep in mind how people feel about going out into public, going into large uh, gatherings again. So I think it's taking everybody a little bit of time. But I, I always say the number one thing that will sell tickets is winning. And uh, Owen Sound's been doing a good job of that on home ice. And I think uh, some buzz has been starting to grow there in the city. And you can see the attendance starting to rise. And, and I think it's going to find uh, its way back up as the year goes on. And, and over the last few weeks, uh, I don't think anybody would be complaining about the attendance up there. The other thing is, uh, just think about how many players everybody had to get to know now. Uh, usually, you only have about a handful of rookies every year. So fans still have their their favorites from the years prior, or they've seen the younger guys growing up. This year, with as many as you know, 12, 13, 14 guys brand new on a team, the fans don't have their fan favorites just yet. It's going to take a little bit of time. So they don't have that emotional connection, so to speak. And I think that's starting to grow, especially in Owen Sound, where they've got a great group of young players. Uh, they're 16 and 17-year-olds have just uh, made a tremendous impact. I don't think anyone's looked out of place. And uh, their hardworking nature is certainly uh, uh, being noticed by the fans and everybody up there. Overall, how do you feel about the league's uh, COVID protocols? Because as you know, the Sudbury Wolves have been shut down uh, with 12 players. And then uh, Peterborough Peets, I think, uh, had a few guys. So overall, what's your assessment of the COVID protocols in place for the league? Yeah, I think I think the league's being proactive. Uh, I know I've heard a few people kind of griping about the fact that they're not getting enough information out of the league. But we have to keep in mind the league has privacy rules in place for a reason. They want to protect information. And uh, I guess it's fair. Uh, at the same time, too, you can understand where some of the concern comes where a team like Peterborough now has to cancel a game or postpone a game, I should say. But yet the team they played the game before, they're still playing. So I know there's a little bit of confusion when it comes to that. That being said, I, I still think the league's being proactive. Uh, what they've done with the Sudbury Wolves uh, can't be easy decision. You know, today they decided to postpone their games for this weekend as well. So that's going to be five games that they have to reschedule. That's going to be really difficult to figure that all out. I'm sure the, the league will be uh, spending lots of time trying to juggle the schedules around. And I would imagine it's going to impact many teams, uh, not just the Wolves. I don't think you can just slot in games on a Monday or a Tuesday. Other teams, you know, it has to balance for them as well. So it's, it's probably going to be a bit of a headache. That being said, uh, fingers crossed that we don't see many more of these situations. I won't be surprised, though, if we do. It's just kind of the way things are heading. I think everyone's still trying to figure out how do we continue moving forward uh, while dealing with this at the same time. And even this past weekend, the Flint Firebirds were in Owen Sound, and, and they had to leave a few players back home because they tested positive before they came across the border. So um, obviously, uh, everybody's on high alert. And I think uh, my understanding is the teams, I'm sure, are really preaching to their players' uh, safety, making sure they've always got their masks on. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's probably easy to get that message through to the players when you tell them you didn't have hockey all of last year. So mm -hmm. we got to be sure that we keep it going this year. Definitely. Um, I was going to say, I, I hate that. I was going to ask you something, but I was going to, uh, what was I going to say? I just, do you ever get that where you wanted oh, yeah. to ask something and then you just completely forget? I'll remember it later, but uh, I was going to say, um, I know with the NFL, this is what I wanted to say. I know with the NFL, if a team breaks a COVID, they have a COVID outbreak, they mm -hmm. could actually forfeit the game. Has the OHL even considered that, that teams, if they uh, care or um, 
having COVID outbreaks, they could end up forfeiting games or has it never been talked about? I'm not sure. I've never heard if that has been discussed, but it's an interesting point that you bring up because, uh, you know, you have to keep in mind, uh, these are young players that, Hey, they're teenagers. We've all been teenagers and yep. they might see an opportunity to go out to a party or something like that. And, and maybe that's not the, the right move to make. And unfortunately it could have real negative impact on, on their team. So I have no idea if that's been discussed, but I'm sure if that was dangled there, it would certainly keep people, uh, in line and, and certainly following those protocols to a T. Uh, I hope we don't get to that point, though. I'd hate to see games being forfeited. And uh, at the same time, uh, we got to remember this is a development league. So you want those players to be getting the games. Yeah. You want them to have the opportunity to showcase their talents for the scouts. So if you're if you're postponing games or, or outright just canceling them and, and making it a forfeit victory for another squad, that takes away from uh, both teams, right? It doesn't just penalize the team that uh, had the COVID outbreak, it penalizes that other team where a player might be in the scoring race and he needs those points or uh, he's trying to improve his uh, draft status. Okay. Uh, before I get to the questions, Mark, what's your thought on Mac Guza being traded to the Barry Colts? It was a situation that uh, was certainly uh, kind of lingering there. And I don't know if everyone really wanted to talk about it. It was kind of the elephant in the room in Owen Sound to start the year. That was they had three goaltenders on their roster. Goose is obviously really well established in the league. Uh, not many goaltenders got thrown into the fire the way he did as a 16-year-old. Owen Town had a really quality team with the likes of uh, you know Nick Suzuki and uh, Kevin Hancock. You know th- there was a real deep squad they had there, Sean Dursey as well. And the one thing they were kind of missing was goaltending, and they tried really hard to secure that and, and figure out that uh, that issue and at least uh, address it. And they never really could get the perfect solution. So a young 16-year-old Matt Guzda really got thrown into the fire. He played a lot more than any 16-year-old typically would. And uh, it was a great learning experience for him. And there was nights that you really saw those glimpses of what he could become. Uh, as his OHL career went on, I, I thought he just kind of worked his way up to being a, you know, a top-notch OHL goaltender, a very quality netminder. And he was the kind of goaltender coming into this year that you would peg for a young team. That would be just a great, great uh, you know, security to have was a good goaltender in between the pipes that you could rely upon. So I think going into the year, I don't know if Dale DeGray really was going to consider moving Matt Gusta because I think he liked having that security between the pipes. But then you start to see a goaltender like Nick Chouinard. He's kind of taken over that number one spot. He's a year younger. He's looked really good, I think. I think he's looked uh, outstanding. And so he comes in. He's playing really well. And then you've got a 17-year-old netminder who you want to groom, and you're going to want to get him some games. And, and let's be honest, if you have Matt Guzda on your bench, you're probably going to play him almost every single night. He's going to want to play every single night too because he's trying to earn himself a pro contract. And then what are you going to do with your 17-year-old? He's not going to get a lot of experience. He's not going to get many reps. And then next year, Guzda is gone. And now all of a sudden, you're handing the reins over to a, a young netminder with limited OHL experience. So I think it's just that situation started to play out. I think it just became more clear that in the best interest of not just the Sound attack, but also in Mac Guzda, it was to uh, make a deal, send him to a team that was looking for a goaltender. And I know uh, everybody had Barry, the Barry Colts pegged as one of the top contenders in the Eastern Conference. And mm-hmm. it was evident early on. They just didn't have the goaltending that they were going to need if they want to go deep this season. And uh, so it's kind of a win-win-win for everybody. Everybody kind of addresses what uh, their needs were or their issues that they had to solve. And, uh, you know, I wish Mac Guzda the best of luck because it's uh, not too often that you get to see a goaltender for what would have been five seasons in the league. In fact, if, if COVID had not uh, interrupted uh, two seasons ago and then wiped out all of last year, Matt Gusta was on pace to play the most games ever by a goaltender in the OHL. Uh, obviously, injury or something along those lines could have uh, derailed that. But if you had gone through his years, his 16, 17, and 18-year-old seasons, and then 
uh, projected how many starts he was going to get those next two years, he would have broke JP Anderson's record who used to play for the Mississauga St. Michael's majors. So that would have been kind of a, a cool little fact. Uh, unfortunately he won't get that, but at the same time, I don't think he'll really care as long as he gets a potentially a championship with Barry. I was going to say too, um, uh, Mark, um, even if you have a number one goalie like London, Britt Brashrew, um, it's important in this league to have, a number one goalie, obviously, but your backup needs to be very confident too. And one other thing I wanted to ask you too, Mark, is there a lot of teams that carry three goalies or do you find most of them carry two? And then if they need to, they just call up a goalie from a junior B or junior C. Yeah, exactly that. I think you'll see at the start of year of the season, some teams will carry three goaltenders, just like the case was with the Owen sound attack, but they're trying to figure out that situation. They're trying to decide if, you know, maybe trades an option, which guy's going to stick. Maybe we're going to send one of the young netminders down to junior B, like you said, or tier two and get them some experience. So I think you, you usually see those issues or, or that situation resolved probably within the first month. It lingered on a little longer for Owen Sound, but that was because Nick Chenard was actually injured. He got hurt uh, in training camp, so he was a little late coming back. So uh, it worked out to the attack's benefit that they hadn't already determined who their two goaltenders were going to be, and they still had three on the roster. So uh, you don't see it too often, though. And I was going to say, Guelph uh, kind of struggled early on, but uh, with Owen Bennett and Jacob Oyster, um, they've actually been a pretty good goaltending duel uh, tandem for now. So uh, we'll see how that works out. But in the OHL, if you've got good goaltending, you'll be in every single hockey game. Yeah, you're right about that. And it's funny you bring up the three goaltending situation or three goaltender situation because uh, the Sarnia Sting on Saturday afternoon, they beat the London Knights and they actually used three goaltenders in the game. Uh, wow. It was a bit of an emergency situation, is my understanding, that uh, they have their two netminders, uh, Benjamin Gaudreau and uh, Anton Thornton, who are both NHL drafted or at least NHL signed netminders who uh, are prospects uh, that are obviously going to play at the pro level. They're both quality goaltenders, which certainly gives the Sting a bit, a bit of a leg up going into every game. But my understanding is Thornton wasn't feeling very well. So he wasn't ready to be the backup, but he was obviously there with the team. Uh, Gaudreau got injured in the first period. And as it turned out, they actually had one of their prospects uh, in the stands who came down. Uh, he put on Gaudreau's equipment, went into the game, and then somehow Thornton, uh, I guess, was feeling a little better and realized, okay, I better go in. And uh, he ended up coming in as well. So you, you don't see that too often that three goalies were used and, and they even got the victory. No Zamboni driver, eh? <laughs> no, no, exactly. Oh, don't bring that up. I am a Leaf fan. Come on. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry I had to do that. But, uh, yeah, hey, things do happen. So um, do teams generally carry uh, an, uh, another guy, extra guy in case something happens? Or just that yeah. was just one, a fluke thing with the Sting situation? Yeah, I think it was just a fluke situation. I don't know uh, the full details yet, and I haven't talked to anybody around London or Sarnia yet as to what happened. I was trying to kind of put the pieces together and then I read a couple articles after as to what happened but uh, I think they had just a prospect that was there attending the game so uh, really lucky that it worked out like that I'm not entirely sure what would happen the only um, instance where I can remember a team not having uh, either goalie available to play in the game was the Erie Otters almost a decade ago and they had to dress one of their players uh, one of their players actually put on the goalie's equipment uh, it was Connor Crisp I remember the player and uh, he went in against the Niagara Ice Dogs, and you can imagine what happened. But yeah. like, everybody certainly gave him full props for uh, yeah. ste stepping up and, and being the guy that was strapped the pads on because no yeah. one would want to see that. And, and yeah. it is disappointing if that ever does happen. It's not like the NHL where there's emergency backups uh, in every building. And I was going to say, the Sting have the Knights number. They've beaten them three straight times. 
yeah, I can, I, I'm not entirely sure what uh, they figured out on how to beat the London Knights, considering uh, the Owen Sound attack have played London six times this year, and London's won all six meetings. I mean, uh, a few of those have gone to extra time, and, and they've all, for the most part, been really close games. And at the end of it, you wonder, how couldn't Owen Sound beat them there? They, they, you'd think they'd have one of those six games when I think five of the six have been one goal game. Yep. But London's found a way to get all those victories, yet here's Sarnia, who I mentioned earlier was really struggling early on, yet uh, they've been able to stymie the Knights. And I think in large part, it has been due to some really good goaltending. And Sarnia is a better team than their record indicated early. And I was going to say, in the Storm have had success against London too, uh, winning the two games. I know the one in the overtime. I know the Knights defenseman had a, a, melt, a meltdown with his skate. And then uh, the other game, I guess the puck hit the referee. But hey, that's the way it goes. That's the Sometimes. way it goes. That's it, right, Chris? You just need the bounces to go your way. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Uh, just think about that. In, in all those one-goal games, Owen Sounds played against London, if just a bounce could have gone their way. If if I remember the play you're talking about, the first time Guelph and London played, Isaiah George was just back yes. in overtime, yeah. right? And he and he just stumbled. Something happened there, and yeah. he lost an edge, and, and there's a breakaway for Danny Jilkin. I mean, yeah. those could happen easily, but uh, for some teams that were getting the bounces early on, and you hope that those bounces continue when you are getting them, and then – Usually, if they're not going your way, you chalk it up to, well, eventually they're going to go our way. Definitely. Okay, I'm just going to get some questions. Are you okay for time for a bit? Yep, I am. Uh, okay. Uh, first one I wanted to ask you is, can you just tell my audience just a little bit about yourself? And when did you decide you wanted to pursue a career in broadcasting TV radio? Yeah, well, I think it probably hit me back in high school that I wanted to pursue a career in, in broadcasting. And how that all came about was I was a huge sports fan growing up. Uh, just like a lot of, uh, you know, young boys and girls in Ontario, you, you watch hockey and, and you just fall in love with the sport and you're out in the driveway playing road hockey and you're you're commentating the game as you're playing with your friends. That's something I just did. And I think everybody always said, oh, you should be an announcer. And I never really gave it full consideration. But when I was in high school, I was doing the timekeeping for the local uh, tier two junior A team in Milton, the Milton Icehawks. They're no longer around. They've been replaced now. But uh, I, I came in as their timekeeper partway through the season. And the next year I came back, I'm, I'm doing the timekeeping every Friday night and the PA announcer, uh, something happened. Uh, I don't know if there was a disagreement between him and the owner, but, but he quit and they wow. said, Hey, can you do this? And, and I'd only ever really done PA announcing, uh, for some minor hockey games. And that was only if the microphone got left in the box, I would just do it for fun. So I said, sure, I'll try this. And, and obviously I took a real liking to it. And, uh, I don't know if, uh, I don't want to say I was a natural, uh, you know, I'm not egotistical like that, but I, I I think it's safe to say that, you know, I was confident and I had a little bit of ability. So when I was in high school and you're trying to determine what your next path's going to be, I remember talking to a guidance counselor and I liked um, learning about, you know, video production and things along those lines. And, and he's, and I also didn't mind writing. So he suggested that I go to school for uh, broadcast journalism. And that's what I did. So I, I went to Humber college. It was a three-year program, uh, but it wasn't just broadcasting. It was also print journalism, which is, which uh, would actually be really uh, helpful going forward because uh, ultimately coming out of college, I would start working for Woodbine Entertainment in their communications department. Uh, that was mostly just doing writing. And at the same time, when I got that job, I was still also doing uh, some hockey broadcasting on the side and, and also doing some broadcasting at the racetrack. So I've been able to dabble in a lot of different areas. And uh, I don't know if uh, I've ultimately ever, uh, uh, you know, it's never like I've really chased something, so to speak. Things have just sort of kind of gone my way at times and, and been in the right spots and and uh, made sure that I was ready and educated. And uh, here I am. 
Okay. You answered my second question because I, I, I learned too with this. If you ask a guest one question, they can sometimes give you the answers <laughs> to four or five questions. So that's what I've been working on. And Eric Smith from the Raptors has taught me. Uh, this question you've already answered, but did you have any mentor or mentors when you were starting out, Scott? Or uh, Mark? <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, there you mentioned one right there, Scott. Obviously, my father uh, yeah. really introduced me to hockey and sports, and and certainly uh, ignited that passion in me for uh, for the sports world. Uh, when it comes to broadcasting, I think I've been asked this before if I ever model my broadcasting after anyone, and I don't necessarily. Um, but I would think you know when it comes to mentors, you you can just look at all the different people that have helped you along the way, and whether that was that guidance counselor in high school who suggested going to Humber College and, and the program that I should uh, take, or even, you know, the the instructors and the professors that you had there, the people you meet in some of your jobs, you know, even the, you know, the, the folks that have given me opportunities to do some broadcasting, especially as a, you know, as a young man, uh, they didn't have to give me a chance. I think those are the kind of people um, I would definitely chalk up someone like Fred Wallace, who is the, you know, he's the play-by-play voice uh, for the Owentown Attack. He's been doing the radio since day one. He's the PA announcer in the building. He gave me lots of opportunities, and I've learned lots from him. So uh, you can definitely take little pieces from everybody that you work with, and that's one thing certainly to keep in mind is that you should never uh, uh, stop paying attention, right, because you can always learn something. Absolutely. And even doing this podcast, Mark, uh, a lot of my guests that have come on, they've been all great with me, very supportive of what I'm trying to do. And every podcast I have with a guest, I learned something new too. Yeah. And, and you know what? I don't want to, uh, you know, I would never call anybody out, but sometimes you can definitely pick up on personalities and, and having done this long enough now uh, and having worked in some different situations, you can tell who's out there for themselves at times. And I think we all want to, uh, you know, achieve our dreams and we all want to get to that next level and everyone wants to do the best they can, but, uh, you're never going to get to the top alone. Right. So you, you know, you're going to, you're going to get better by learning from others. You're also going to advance when you're working with really good folks that you get along with and that, uh, can help you along the way and you can help them. So it's, it's always a team effort. And, and that's something that uh, I certainly keep in mind in any project that I work in. Absolutely. And with, with my guests, I've had some like uh, Mike Stubbs and Chuck Swarsky. There were certain subjects they couldn't talk about. And I totally, I, mm-hmm. they, they let me know and I totally understood and they really appreciated that. And I said to I said to them guys, Hey, if, if, if there's something you can't talk about because of your, uh, with the team and whatever, I completely understand that I'm trying to build a rapport in trust with my guests. And that way my guests might feel comfortable enough to come back on my podcast again in the future. Well, that's it. And especially when you're on air, uh, whether you're broadcasting a a hockey game or whether I've been doing horse racing, anything that I've ever worked in, you have to have trust in the people that you're working with on air um, because uh, it's always evident uh, chemistry, right? You can always tell when there's chemistry there. And when there isn't chemistry, it's also probably more evident than uh, than when there is, right? So uh, you have to have that trust with the people that you work with and, and build a good rapport, like you said. And that's another thing, too, also with Rogers TV. Uh, I've learned a lot from them. And the thing is, it's a team effort. Everybody on the broadcast, as you know, Mark, mm-hmm. has to do their job. And it's you, you can't have a good uh, production without the camera guys, the graphic guys, yeah. the audio guy, and the producers, too, like Neil White and Guelph. Yeah, exactly. And, and I've worked with uh, some good folks uh, around the Ontario Hockey League at the various different, uh, you know, Rogers uh, community channels. And, and like you said, um, there's good folks out there because a lot of it, like you know, is, is driven by the volunteers. And without the volunteers, we wouldn't be putting these uh, these games on the air. So, uh, you know, the odd time you might see something that didn't go right or maybe a graphic didn't pop up or they, they missed a replay uh, at the end of the day. 
um, you know, I'm just happy that we have people that want to be there to, to help broadcast these games and, and to bring them to the viewers because uh, without them, we wouldn't be doing it. So uh, you, you just like you said, you, you build a good relationship with everyone there and, and it becomes a kind of your work family, so to speak. I agree. And it's also networking too. You build contacts yeah. up with them too. So uh, like you said, and uh, to me, it's not work. It's something like we enjoy. We have a passion for it. Yep, absolutely. You're, you're right about that. And uh, I've been lucky enough to have done some games uh, with different folks over the years. Uh, you know, every once in a while we have to bring in, uh, you know, a backup color commentator because my usual partner in Old Town, John Morris, maybe he misses a game or I miss a game. And when you have that new person come in, you just try to be as welcoming as you can. You, you know, you welcome them to the team. And even if they're only going to be there one night, you want them to be as comfortable as possible because, you uh, you know what it would be like if you were in their shoes, right? Like there's nothing worse than going into a, an uncomfortable situation and uh, especially in broadcasting, because uh, again, there, there's as much as you can do this, uh, you know, a million times, you can always, you're going to have a little bit of nerves, I think at times, or especially when you're not in a situation that you're completely comfortable. In. And I know this isn't necessarily a question, but uh, what I always come back to is preparation. And if yeah. you're not prepared for your shows, uh, for your games, whatever it may be, uh, you're going to struggle as good of a broadcaster as you might be. And, and I know lots of them out there that can just go off the top of their head. And even at times, I know if I'm told I need to fill, I can go off the top of my head. But the reason I go off the top of my head is because I'm prepared and because, uh, you know, I've studied the subject and, and I know uh, enough information about what I'm going to talk about. And there's nothing worse than when you get thrown into something that you're not necessarily prepared or you don't. And, and I learned that lesson at a young age. Uh, it, it does. It's never going to turn out as a, a masterpiece. That's for sure. Do your homework. That's what Jerry Howarth told me when he was on my podcast. Do your homework. Be prepared. Absolutely. And he would know, right? Look at look yeah. at the longevity. Yes. So, and uh, same with Eric Smith, too. And even if you're just doing a podcast, too, I, I try to prepare before my guests come on and just try to learn about my guests or their teams or whatever. And, and I'm not going to know everything, but I just, like I said, what you said there makes sense. Be prepared. And it's like with Rogers TV. I like to get there a couple hours before the game and just – see what they want me to do and what the producer wants me to do and, and try to make sure everything goes smoothly before the, the game goes out live on TV. Yeah, you're right about that. And I know this would probably sound kind of silly uh, that for somebody who goes on camera, uh, you would think uh, I'd be very outgoing and, and I am, and I like talking to people, but there was definitely a time when I first got started that I was a little shy and maybe intimidated to just start talking to uh, people that I wasn't familiar with. But uh, over time, you you know, you start to come out of your shell a little bit in those situations. And uh, that's that goes a long way. Uh, being able just to talk to, to anybody and, and strike up a conversation, you're going to learn something, especially when you want to you know learn a little more background info or you want to be as prepared as possible for a for a broadcast. Uh, you can always, uh, you know, just strike up a conversation with someone. You might learn something that you didn't know. And that's what I really enjoy about the, the media rooms usually uh, around the Ontario Hockey League. They've been a little different this year, obviously, with the COVID protocols, but um, there's a little bit of that you, you gather and it's kind of a, a bit of a club where you can tell some stories, you can learn some different uh, facts and info. And uh, there's nothing better than sometimes, you know, uh, kind of going, having good chats with your, your fellow broadcasters because uh, you can kind of get tidbits that each of you can use on your uh, respective broadcasts. Broadcast. And what I was going to say, um, Mark, even though I, I was looking at going into broadcasting in the early 90s, uh, obviously they didn't have this technology. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have been ready to do it back then. And now I, I feel with uh, my life experience and what I've been doing the last 20 plus years and, and dealing with the public, I think that's helped me. I was doing the podcast and talking to people that I've never met before and building a rapport with them on here. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and that's it. You're, I can tell right now, right, that you're, you're comfortable uh, asking questions and, and, you know, talking to somebody that, you know, I've known you obviously for, for quite a while there, Chris, but at the same time, whether I was someone you'd never met or you'd known for several years, uh, you just have to have that same sort of confidence and, and that, uh, that passion to, to just get in there and, and start talking with them and, and seeing where it goes. And, and, you know, I'm really enjoying this conversation. And one thing Eric Smith taught me too, um, it's okay to write down questions or what you want to ask, but you try to talk to your, um, guest like we're talking at work or we're talking at the arena and 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 learning the ab lib too so i'm still learning all these skills too yeah and i think i this is something that i've tried to help uh our young hosts that we've had at times uh doing the interviews and the intermissions and all in sound with is when a player and and maybe this isn't always necessarily the case especially during in-game interviews but outside of that when you're when you're doing an interview with a subject is don't just necessarily have your three questions lined up and just hit them one, two, three, because you've already mentioned it. They might answer that second question in the first question. At the same time, too, they might say something in their answer that you should follow up on. They might give you something that you should grab and say, hey, well, tell us a bit more about that. Or yep. especially in a podcast setting, like you said, uh, the questions uh, you can usually go a little longer with. So that's one thing is that you should always be listening to who, whoever you're interviewing and, and the answers that they're giving you because uh, it just makes for a much more compelling uh, question and answer session than someone who clearly just has their three questions scripted and that's it. And Eric Smith from the Raptors uh, hammered that into me and I've taken his advice as well. Like I said, every guest that's come on here has uh, taught me something. So every show I do is a learning experience. That's it. That's all they can be, right? Uh, every you got, if you don't learn something, uh, then uh, you know you definitely you might have missed the message because uh, even if uh, you don't realize someone's necessarily teaching you something, you can usually grab something from what they said. Definitely, and the same with Rogers TV and with Neil produce, uh, mm -hmm. Neil White and Jeff Keddy. Uh, they're always telling me, showing me stuff, mm -hmm. or I'm asking them questions too. Yeah, and, and I really like the passion that those uh, gentlemen have, including Neil, who who I've worked with a few times, as you know, at, with Rogers and Guelph. Uh, you know, these folks, uh, it might be their job, but at the end of the day, they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't really enjoy it. And they didn't have a passion for it, and especially covering OHL games. So you, you can tell how much they care, and then they want to put the, the best broadcasts uh, possible on air because uh, that's evident, too, in not just the on-air commentators, but also the people behind the scenes uh, that they take pride in their craft. Definitely. And uh, the next question I wanted to ask you, Mark, is what was your first job in radio and TV? I would, that's, that's tough because I, I guess technically uh, broadcasting wise, like I said, I started doing the PA announcing for the Milton junior a team. And then mm. what would happen with that is the league uh, ultimately mandated that everybody needed to broadcast their games online or have streaming of all their games. So then I started doing the play by play. And for a little bit, I actually moved out of the timekeepers box and I went up into the crowd and I was just doing the play by play for the, for the live stream, uh, which I think was on myhockey.com or something along those lines. And it was definitely through the league website, but, but nonetheless, uh, I didn't necessarily uh, just enjoy for those games sitting up in the, in the crowd doing it um, because I, I, still kind of was paying attention to all the other little jobs that I'd been in charge with before. And it was a little tough to try and find uh, reliable help that could be there every game. So what we ended up doing was going forward, I ended up moving back into the timekeepers box and I was doing the PA announcing the scorekeeping and the play by play from right between the benches, which uh, it's a challenge for sure to try and do the play by play from an angle like that, because as you know, usually the play by play, you're, you're high above, you're looking over the play. You can see, 
uh, as the action is developing, where players are, and you can read the numbers a lot easier. Uh, I actually did it between the benches, which I think helped me because you picked up a lot on tendencies and uh, you, you spotted actually a few more things that you wouldn't normally see. So you were kind of a play-by-play -play and a color analyst at the same time. So I was doing play-by-play -play for the Milton uh, games for several years online. Uh, and I think the first time I ever got on radio to do a, to do a game was with Owen Sound. And that was with Fred Wallace, who gave me an opportunity as a as a student uh, to come in and do some games uh, every once in a while. I joined him as the color commentator on, on 560 CFOS. And, and Fred's, uh, like I said, he's been a great teacher. I've learned a lot from him. And in fact, I, I believe one of the first games I ever did was on my 19th birthday. Uh, Owen Sound was playing in Brampton at the, the Powerade Center, I guess it was called then. And I did a game there one night with him. And uh, kept getting those opportunities uh, a couple times a year uh, until I finished up school. And then uh, in the last several years, it's just kind of picked up where I've, I'll join them probably, you know, anywhere from a dozen to, to 20 times a season on the radio. And uh, that was probably the first time I was on radio. Were you a little bit nervous at first? Oh, yeah, I lost my voice. Uh, you know, you oh, forget wow. to breathe, right? You, when you get on air, you start talking and uh, you're definitely... Uh, a little nervous, you're really excited and you realize, and it took me a while to figure out what actually happened, but you're talking and all of a sudden you're just, you're trying to talk and nothing's coming out and you can hear yourself almost kind of gasping. And that's because you you kind of forget to breathe, right? You, I think you just get your heart pounding so fast and, and you're yep. just uh, the adrenaline and everything like that and you forget to breathe. So I haven't had that happen in a little while, but it's happened to me before and in, in some other situations and uh, you learn um, that, there's nothing wrong with being a little nervous. And, and if anything, I've kind of learned how to deal with that just by really slowing down, catching my breath. And uh, it helps, especially when you're not necessarily on camera with radio, you can, you can take a second. If you have a good partner, they'll cover for you. And I have to admit, even to this day, even doing the, the storm games mm -hmm. uh, before each game, I'm a little bit nervous too. And, and then as soon as I'm get the camera and I'm start working, the nerves go away and, and it's okay, I guess, to be a little bit nervous because mm -hmm. it, it helps you too in the end. Well, it just says that you're human, right? Uh, yeah. If you weren't getting nervous, uh, you're either just the, you know, the most uh, calm, cool, collected person out there or you're not human. So there's nothing wrong with being a little nervous. And, and I'm the same as you, uh, especially in a situation where uh, you're definitely a little nervous going into it. Once the game gets going, you, you know, you Focus. get into a flow, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that, uh, that just comes with experience and, and repetition. Just like setting up and tearing down, people don't realize, and I didn't know this before I joined Rogers, how much work there is even in an Ontario Hockey League broadcast. Yeah, you're right about that, and that's why I'll, I'll always give shout outs to the crew that work behind the scenes, and even on a lot of our broadcasts, I'll always take a moment to say, you know, great job to the to the folks working behind the scenes um, because uh, it's not just what happens in that you know two and a half hours from puck drop till the final buzzer. There's a lot that goes into it before the game, a few hours before, you know, hours after the game, getting everything set up. Uh, in fact, in Owen Sound this weekend, our Rogers crew didn't uh, didn't do the game on Saturday night, but they did the game on Sunday afternoon. So they had to get in there nice and early in the morning and get everything set up. So, you know, it's a full day at times for them. And, and you know that, uh, you know, firsthand, the hard work that goes into it. And a lot of the times we get credit as the on-air commentators for for the show and and you know it's it's nice to hear those compliments but at the end of the day uh you know there's the folks behind the scenes that are certainly making us look good and it's also nice when uh, the guys uh tell the camera guys hey good shot of the replay or whatever it makes you feel good it makes you want to keep doing a great job yeah you did your job right there's i mean i've been in those situations where you want to uh show a replay to the to the viewers and, and maybe the camera operator missed it and that happens but when they yeah. get a great shot of yep. uh you know a great save or a great goal 
uh, you know, they should hear it as well. You're, you're right about that because, uh, you know, they got exactly and they captured it in the moment what everyone wanted to see again. Definitely. And that leads to my next question, Mark. Um, how did you end up coming about the TV play-by-play role for the Ontario Hockey League's own sound attack with Rogers TV? So it's a bit of a kind of a funny story about just being in the right place at the right time. And that's kind of what I was saying a little earlier on. Um, it's And again, like I've got dreams like everyone and I'm chasing them and I always want to continue to get better. But uh, a lot of my opportunities I kind of fell into uh, by just being in the right place at the right time and, and having, uh, you know, obviously the abilities to, to step into the role. And so with the Owen Sound attack, uh, how it started out was, uh, again, I went to school for, for broadcasting. So uh, I have family up there and my grandfather's been involved with the team up there since day one. So I was always around uh, hockey and Owen Sound and knowing Fred and, and then obviously knowing Manny Pava as well, who was in Owen Sound for many, many years. I know he's been on your podcast before. Uh, the Rogers TV broadcast needed a host and uh, I, just happened to you know be available when they asked if I could come up and, and do the hosting for a few games. It wasn't uh, to do all the games. It was just here and there. So I did a few games and then an opportunity to do color commentary popped up as well. And how that really came about was, uh, you know, I'm not entirely sure what all the circumstances were, but basically, and I can't remember the exact year. I think we're going back maybe six or seven seasons ago now. Uh, I think technically this would be like my sixth year of play-by-play, but so this is probably seven years ago. Uh, they asked me really early in the season, can you do the color commentary for all the Wednesday night home games? And I said, no problem. I guess the regular color commentator wasn't available. So I started off to do the Wednesday games and then the odd Saturday game popped up where they needed someone to fill in. And then partway through the year, um, the color commentary role just kind of became mine. Uh, That opening uh, popped up. So I was working with Manny. He was doing the play-by-play. And at the end of that season, Manny left uh, Owen Sound uh, to pursue another job opportunity uh, that was taking him out of the city. He was heading towards, uh, you know, the Windsor area. And when he was leaving, he he sent me a text message and just said, uh, you know, FYI, I'm, I'm leaving. Just wanted to let you know and said, you know, if you want to do the play by play, reach out to our producer, Mark Perry, and let him know you want to do it. And that's what happened. I reached out to Mark Perry and obviously he'd seen me on air for that previous season and, and was fully confident that I could do it. And I had done one game of play by play for Owen Sound. Uh, just as a fill-in when Manny was away that season before. And then there you go. Next thing you know, uh, you know, it kind of became my gig. And I've been at it now for the last uh, several seasons, and it's been a lot of fun. What's the biggest difference between the play-by-play um, for TV and radio and also doing color analysts, if you don't mind me asking you that? Yeah, it's – well, so naturally when you're, when you're doing play-by-play on the radio, your viewers are your listeners. They're your listeners. They can't see what's going on. So your job is to paint the picture – and to definitely, uh, you know, make them feel like they can see if they were looking at, I know I've always heard this, uh, been told to me in the past that basically if they were looking at their radio, or I guess now in a lot of cars, you know, they're looking at that screen, they could pick out where all the players are on the ice, or they could uh, kind of imagine uh, exactly what's happening based on your description. So doing the play-by-play on the radio is a little more descriptive because uh, they can't see the action that's going on. Whereas doing play-by-play on TV is you have to keep in mind, the viewer can see, uh, what is happening and your job is obviously to call the action uh, to call the names to, to call the players that have the puck but you don't need to get as detailed uh, your job is really just to sort of uh, you know be there to really enhance the play and, and to bring a little bit of excitement and, and to obviously keep the viewers informed as to what is exactly going on and who's on the ice because when you're watching as you know sometimes you can't see numbers and if you're a new viewer and you're not familiar with the team you might not be completely aware so 
that's probably the biggest difference is you just don't have to be as descriptive. And that's something I've had to adjust because when I first started doing play by play for the attack, I was very descriptive. And I still think I keep that in my, my uh, game calling style. And it's not something that I'm going to change, but I, I definitely monitor that I'm not getting uh, too nitty gritty, you know, into the details of, you know, here he is in the left corner. Well, everyone knows that's the left corner. I can say here he is in the corner, right? So you just have to leave out a few words. But I do like uh, calling the game and being descriptive as possible and really trying to call the names because I, there's nothing uh, that I don't uh, enjoy more than when you watch a game and you don't know who the players are and you're not hearing their names called. And the one thing I keep in mind is for a lot of our viewers tuning in, you know, they might not necessarily be the biggest diehard OHL fans. They might be a big fan of their local team, but they don't know the other team. So yeah. you want to make sure you're calling the players' names and, and uh, you know, letting everyone know who's on the ice and, and who's in the different spots. So I, I try to be, you know, very thorough and, and to call as much as the action as you can for TV. But every once in a while with uh, television, you just got to let it breathe and, and let the, the pictures tell the story. So uh, it's uh, at times a bit of a challenge, uh, just kind of finding that that right balance and, you did ask as well about color commentary. Uh, I, as someone who has watched hockey, obviously my entire life and, and paid close attention to, you know, hockey broadcasting. Uh, I like, I don't know. I don't mind doing the color commentary still because uh, it's fun to break down the plays and, and every once in a while you spot something that maybe the viewer at home didn't see, or it wasn't picked up on the camera at first. And you can kind of explain what happened, where the breakdowns were. So uh, as well, though, it's uh, tough because if I do bounce between those roles, play by play, you're always doing a ton of talking color commentary. You have to pick your spots, you know, when you jump in. So, uh, this is a little bit of challenge when you're going back and forth, uh, remembering what role that you're in. I was going to say, Mark, even in the, I've been an OHL fan for 40 years, uh, since the Gulf Platers came in in 81, 82, the speed of the game is just incredible. Like even being mm -hmm. a camera operator, it's like, you really have to be on the ball the whole time. And do you find in the last, even the last couple of years, the speed of the game's even picked up? Oh yeah, big time. And that's one thing as a play-by-play -play man that you, you have to watch for is that when even in the middle of the play, when the tempo picks up and the action's going back and forth, sometimes you maybe start talking a little quicker and that's no good for anyone because they need to understand what you're saying. You're trying to be clear and concise. At the same time, what I find is when the play does pick up and the tempo uh, is ramped up to that next level, maybe we're getting a bit of a track meet, the teams are going back and forth you just sort of enhance that uh, tone in your voice, that excitement. It just starts to rise a little more. So you're not necessarily talking any quicker, but the viewer at home, that person listening can tell by my voice, like, okay, this game is flying right now. Uh, but getting back to just what you said about how fast the game has got, it, it does make it uh, a little more challenging probably for a play-by-play -play man, but I, I'm kind of used to it because this is kind of that era that I've been in. Uh, I'm sure for the guys who first started calling games, uh, you know, this is, probably took a little bit of adjustment, but I don't think the game necessarily went from zero to a hundred overnight. Right. It, it just yeah. sort of gradually got quicker, but um, I mean, it's incredible the speed that the game's played at and in Owen sound. And I know they wouldn't want me to say this. There's always that rumor out there that the rink is a little smaller and I don't know if it is necessarily smaller. I think if you measured it from the middle, uh, you know, right at center ice across the red line, or you went right from behind the goal down to the other goal, it is, you know, the proper dimensions, but I think the corners are a little more, uh, you know, they're not as deep as in some buildings they are a little shallow. And because of that, because they're a little tighter, I think it makes for a game that's a really uh, kind of choppy at times where it's really a lot of crashing and banging back and forth. There's not a whole lot of space to spread things out. And because of that, uh, I find uh, when you call a game in Owen Sound, it is uh, fast paced from 
start to finish. You don't really get a lot of lulls because there's always a body check or a change of possession happening at any time. Mike Stubbs was telling me from the night said it, the boards have quite the bounce on it, like sort of like the old Joe Louis Arena and the odd in Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah, I know uh, there's a few buildings in the OHL where you got to watch for the, the bounces. Owen Sound's notorious for having just those boards that the puck comes off it sometimes harder than it went in uh, went into it. So teams try to use that to their advantage. Owen Sound certainly does a good job of that. They, the defensemen like to take shots from the point that go wide on purpose and get it to bounce back out in front. Um, and visiting teams come in and they learn pretty quickly. In fact, I think if you go back to 2011, when the Ole Miss Sound attack were in the championship against the, the Mississauga St. Michael's Majors, it was game four, and the series was two to one for the Mississauga Majors, and it was a real tight game all afternoon. Zero zero going, you know, deep into the game. Now we're you know, we're we're well into the third period. And I can't remember who it was, maybe it was Justin Shug, I think, for the Mississauga Majors, scored a goal by using the end boards bounce. Uh, to his advantage, which you would never see the visiting team do in Owen Sound. But he came through the middle and he was going up against a defenseman sort of one-on-one. -on -one, and at about the blue line, when he was getting to the offensive zone, he just fired it in wide of the net. And he kept his speed up, got around the defenseman. And when he got around the defenseman, the puck came rebounding right back out to him and he, and he fired it home. Now, ultimately, Owen Sound tied the game and they won in overtime. So I don't mind telling that story, but uh it just shows you that uh, teams pick up on it pretty quickly and uh it, it always makes for some entertaining games at the bayshore okay are you still okay for a few more minutes yes Mark? I am. okay okay uh the next question i wanted to ask you quick thoughts on the head coach greg walters and his uh, assistant coaches so far this season yes yeah, so greg walters uh took over as the head coach in owen sound for this season alan letang was the previous head coach and uh he left for an opportunity to be the head coach with the sarnia sting that's where he's from so, uh, you know, I don't think there was any hard feelings on, on either side. It was just uh, an opportunity for him to go back home to his family and to coach his hometown team, the Sting. So when he left, that obviously opened up the, the head coaching job in Owen Sound. And uh, Dale DeGray, the general manager and his staff, uh, identified Greg Walters as a great candidate. And that's who they hired. And, and Greg had previously been coaching the Oshawa Generals. They had split and, and gone their separate ways. So he was available. And uh, he came in as the head coach. And uh, I had seen Greg... Uh, coached the Georgetown Raiders in the OJHL for many years. They played against Milton when I was doing games there, and they were always one of the top teams. And uh, his teams always played a real hard-nosed style. Uh, they always had a ton of skill, but they worked hard. And I knew that was kind of his identity. I always considered the Oshawa Generals sort of the, a Western Conference-style team. And uh, I get into this debate a lot with OHL fans. I always think the Western Conference just plays a more rugged style than the Eastern Conference. But I thought you could have plucked the Oshawa Generals, coached by Greg Walters, brought them into the West, and they would have fit in perfectly. So I, I think the expectations were that he was going to try and get the most out of his team, and, and I think that's exactly what's happened so far. They have certainly bought into the style of play that he wants, and uh, you know they are a hard team to play against, and it's everybody in that lineup. You know, There's nobody out there that isn't afraid to go to battle, and they like to stick up for one another. And I think uh, you know he's really got them uh, bought into the point that there's no quit. And it's been really impressive. So I'm excited to see where this team goes uh, under Greg Walters because uh, he's certainly getting the most out of a real young group. And this is a group that he's going to have a chance to work with uh, going forward. As for his assistant coaches, as you mentioned, uh, Jordan Hill, he's been in on sound now for uh, you know a few seasons. And uh, here's a, a guy that I think is going to be a head coach in the OHL sooner rather than later. Uh, you know, he's got a great mind and uh, he, he oversees the defense for the attack and, I think uh, it's pretty evident just talking to him. 
Um, you know, he's a great hockey mind. Uh, he obviously played the game at a real high level. He played pro. Uh, he was a captain in the OHL, I believe undrafted, uh, played for the Sarnia Sting and then became their captain. So uh, he's a real great leader who I think if he maybe just had another year or so uh, under his belt with coaching experience, I could have seen him stepping into that head coaching role. So I, I think he's a future head coach. And then the other assistant coach is Joey Hishin, who was uh, an all-star in the OHL. He played for the attack. Uh, he was just a treat to watch, probably one of the best uh, offensive players that ever played, Nolan Sound. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's well documented what happened to his career that, uh, you know, he suffered a concussion in the Memorial Cup. And obviously those concussion issues would linger and it really derailed what I think would have been a long career in the NHL. But he did make it to the NHL still. Nonetheless, he was a first round pick of the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, he got there. He played in the NHL and then he went over to Europe and then uh, ultimately decided to hang up the skates and. Uh, he has become uh, a real uh, impactful skills coach who works with a lot of NHL players in the offseason. And I think uh, having him around the attack and the young players there, he's obviously teaching them lots of lessons. He works a lot with the forwards. And and uh, I think as well, uh, he could probably move into any role that he wants. He's an assistant general manager as well with the attack. So uh, whether he's going to be a head coach or a general manager, I, I think it's just a matter of time. So I think that's really uh, great to see. And I think as much as we talk about it being a development league for the players, it's also a development league for the coaches at times. And I think when you have uh, a staff like the attack do, you know, with Greg Walters, who is uh, obviously has a, a great reputation as a head coach, he's got a ton of experience and then he's got two assistant coaches who continue to uh, make a name for themselves now in this uh, part of the hockey world, uh, it probably bodes well for a good future for the attack and for all of them. And one thing too, especially in the OHL developmental league, stability is huge with the coaching and the general manager because these are young guys and they're learning and you're also teaching them as well, teaching them to play hockey the right way and also to be professionals. Yeah, exactly. And I, I know Jordan Hill told me uh, earlier this year that uh, this was more teaching than they've ever done because they had so many rookies and so many new players. Usually you'd spend a little bit of time in training camp and maybe at the start of the season uh, teaching, but then it's okay, here's our game plan. Here's our you know, philosophy. Here's how we're going to play. But they still had to keep teaching them well into this year. And uh, I think it's definitely showing that the players were listening because uh, they're getting great effort out of their young players. And to that point that you bring up about stability, Dale DeGray has been the general manager in Owen Sound for probably close to 15 years now. So uh, that right there, uh, not a lot of teams will see their general manager stick around for that long. And he's done a great job uh, of building a real competitive team each and every year. They've got that one championship. They've gone to the Western Conference final in the last uh, decade as well. And uh, he really does a great job identifying not just good hockey players, but good people. And that's something that uh, I know is a big mission of his is that he doesn't want to just find a, a good hockey player, you know. There's lots of good hockey players out there that don't have great attitudes, and those aren't the kind of folks he wants to have around. He wants to build a, a great team on and off the ice. That's true. Uh, just two questions left for you, uh, Mark. Uh, this next one, overall assessment of the tax so far, what are their strengths in your opinion and some weaknesses of the team that they could improve upon, and what's their overage player situation right now? Well, I'll start first with the strengths. I think one of their biggest strengths is their work ethic and just the compete level of what they're getting from all their players each and every night. Uh, you love to see it. You love to see how much they're always in the battle. They're always getting their noses dirty. You know, they don't take any nights off. So that's obviously a big strength. And when there's so many young players and they're already playing like that, I think that bodes really well for the future, that those guys are going to have this installed in them now and carry that with them throughout their OHL career. So uh, the biggest strength, I think, is a lot of their young players. They've got a lot of real good talent. Colby Barlow, 
just scored his 10th uh, goal of the season yesterday. He's a 16-year-old rookie that's already got 10 goals. I think he's second in the league in OHL rookie goal scoring. So the future is really bright for him. Uh, they've got uh, another young player by the name of Cedric Gandon, who was a first-rounder a couple of years ago that uh, I think he's starting to really catch the attention of scouts. He plays a real responsible 200-foot game. So uh, I could go on and on about all their rookies, but they've got a good, good group. So that's a big strength going forward uh, as well. They are really uh, stable on the back end. Uh, they have Mark Woolley, Andrew Paird, who are overage defensemen, along with Igor Chibrikov. So they have three overage defensemen. So it kind of answers the, the other part of the question about the overagers. They got three overage D. Uh, I'm anticipating all three will finish this year in Owen Sound because, uh, you know, they're great leaders. And uh, again, it gives uh, the young players a little bit of rope, knowing that backing them up is, you know, real solid decor. And they've got a real good goaltender, Nick Chouinard, who, uh, he's obviously catching the attention of scouts as well. He's 19. I think he'll be back as an overager, but you never know. What if he just stays on a, a real role throughout the rest of the season? You never know. I think a pro contract could certainly come his way. Uh, when it comes to weaknesses right now, uh, I think maybe one of the biggest weaknesses certainly is just goal scoring. Uh, they don't have necessarily uh, that one player. And maybe Colby Barlow is going to become that player, but he's 16 and you can't really put that burden on him just yet. You don't have that one guy that you can count on that you put him out there and I know no goals are automatic, but usually teams have a guy, whether that's a, a Sasha Pastajov in, in Guelph or Luke Evangelis. I know they're real high-end players, but teams have guys that are pure goal scorers. Owen Sound doesn't necessarily have that just yet. Um, a lot of young forwards who are just finding their way, and I think eventually they'll, they'll develop into that role. But the offense has been a little hard to come by at times. It has to kind of be by committee more than just having your, your big guns who can go out there and you know they're going to contribute to the offense nightly. So... I guess that's a weakness. They've really been struggling on the power play, but I think it's something that they can live with knowing they have a really good defense and, and they've got young players who are just going to continue to improve each and every day. Okay. And just, I'm going to wrap this up real soon. Uh, quickly, who are the top five players you've seen on the attack over the years? Ooh, that's a, that's a really good question, Chris. I think uh, that's hard uh, to come up with five. I can definitely tell you number one would be Nick Suzuki, and we're seeing what he's doing in the NHL with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, it was just a pleasure to watch him play junior hockey, and uh, he, he just there was magic there right away. He scored his, I remember him scoring his 20th goal uh, as a 16-year-old. He got it in his final game of the season. So to get to 20 goals as a 16-year-old is very impressive, but it was one of those games where you could just tell he was bound and determined he was going to score in that game and get to 20, and then we just kept watching him go from there. Uh, becoming a 100-point player in the league and, and becoming a first-round pick. Uh, I think he was selected 13th overall by the Vegas Golden Knights before being dealt to Montreal. But uh, I think he will go down, in my opinion, and I know I wasn't necessarily around or at least um, you know, maybe old enough to remember the guys of the 90s, the, the Andrew Brunettes, the, the players like that. Uh, Bobby Ryan, I, I remember watching him when I was a kid, but I really think Nick Suzuki will go down as the, the best player in franchise history. Uh, so I'd put him up there. After that, Michael McNiven was just a great goaltender who was an OHL goaltender of the year during his time with the Owen Sound Attack. Uh, he's also in the Montreal Canadiens organization. He's never really got his break at the pro level just yet. I know he spent a lot of time in the American Hockey League, spent a little time in the East Coast League. I, I look at him as a guy who I think will uh, eventually get there. Uh, I think he will get to the NHL because sometimes goaltenders just take a little longer. So I guess if I'm answering this question uh, from the time that I've watched uh, – uh, and, or I should say covered the team as a play-by-play. -play. I would have guys like Nick Suzuki, Michael McNiven, uh, Jonah Gadjevich. He's a, a heart and soul kind of player that became a real good goal scorer in the OHL. He's playing now with the San Jose Sharks. I would have him up there. 
they had a defenseman by the name of Santino Santarami who was just a, a very dynamic defenseman who could you know chip in with offense. He was getting a ton of points, but he also uh, was very sound in his own uh, zone and was a great leader. He wore the C for them, so I maybe put him in there. And after that, you know, there's a lot of guys I could pick. Kevin Hancock was a real good performer in the OHL. Uh, put up a ton of points. Uh, at one point, the line was Nick Suzuki, Kevin Hancock, and Jonah Gadjevich. So, uh, you know, I'd match that lineup with almost any line that's ever played in the OHL. Uh, they were incredible. So maybe you put me a little on the spot here. So I'm having a tough time remembering. I might be leaving somebody out. But there's there's five guys. And uh, I think all time, it's funny because it was a couple of seasons ago, Chris, we did a list for Rogers TV. Uh, we made a starting lineup of who our five players would be for the uh, – for the you know an all-time team in franchise history and uh i'm trying to remember who i had on there now because it was a really good team <laughs> there's been some good players playing on sound over the years so i know i'm doing a quick search here trying to find who i had on my team because uh uh it was very good but i don't think i can pull it up just yet one other day we can talk about that scott walker kirk Mulby. Yep. yeah there was guys like that i mean um I think, you know, you even look back to a heart and soul player that uh, is always remembered in the in the city, that being Dan Snyder, who, you know, unfortunately uh, lost his life at a young age. But he, you know, he was a captain that made a tremendous impact in the city as well. Uh, you know, he was incredible. You know, Mark Giordano uh, had a good OHL career, but really, uh, you know, he you know, put himself on the map playing and Owen Sound is kind of a guy under the radar who's gone on to an incredible NHL career as well. So. Uh, and they've always had really good goaltenders. Jordan Bennington, uh, I had him on my team for sure. We know what he's done once he got to the NHL. And I kind of compare Bennington and McNiven a lot the same, where Bennington really had to fight to finally get his chance to play in the NHL. And I think at times he felt slighted by his organization, never getting that opportunity. Finally, he did, and he led the Blues to a Stanley Cup. So I kind of hope that'll be the same path for a Michael McNiven. Okay. And uh, quickly before I wrap it up, um, some teams in the East to keep an eye on and uh, any advice for those, not just myself, looking to pursue a career in broadcasting and where can my audience find you again on social media? Yeah, uh, I think over in the Eastern Conference, the North Bay Battalion are certainly turning a lot of heads. I know, uh, you know, you could easily look at the standings and figure that out, but uh, they've got a fun team to watch. Uh, Ty Nelson, it took a little long for him to finally play in the OHL because he was the first round pick or the first overall pick uh, in the shortened year uh, right after uh, when COVID first hit. So he didn't get to play last year. Now he's in his rookie season. He's putting up a ton of points on the back end. Brandon Coe is leading the league in points and just uh, kind of carrying that team as a real strong overager who uh, just actually signed an NHL entry-level deal with the San Jose Sharks. So uh, they're a fun, fun team to watch, I think. And, and they've got a former attacker on their roster, Mitchell Russell, who's also doing great things in his overage season. So uh, I would put the battalion there. Uh, to continue on, uh, looking at uh, you know the broadcasting side of things, um, you know the biggest advice I would give is just, again, uh, never stop uh, – learning, right? Just continue to, to always have your ears open and your eyes open and, and watch how others, uh, you know, do their, their craft because uh, you can learn something from everybody. And, and you also don't want to shut any doors. Like you said, networking is really important. Uh, but like I, I also said there, um, you, you can think you know it all, but you don't. And, and you can think you're the greatest broadcaster in the world because there's a lot of people out there that do. And you're not, you know, you, you can never, uh, uh, get too high, but never get too low. So uh, I guess the biggest advice I would get is just continue to stick with it and, and 
continue to, to hone your craft and, and never uh, stop uh, learning and never stop continuing to work and continue that preparation because preparation is key. It'll set you up to have success. And if anybody wants to, to follow, um, you can find me on Twitter at Mark 14 McKelvey. Uh, that's my, my Twitter handle that, uh, you know, covers a lot of, uh, uh hockey sp specifically the Owen sound attack, a look around the Ontario hockey league. So, uh, that's where you can, you can catch me on Twitter and, uh, certainly drop me a line if you ever have a question. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, Mark, uh, I want to say thank you so much for coming on live with CDP podcast. And I'd like to have you come back on again, a guest in the new year, if you, if you, if you're interested. Yeah, for sure. Look forward to coming back on. We can talk a little bit about the, the OHL and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to, to see how this season plays out. I know uh, you get the chance there to see the golf storm an awful lot and so do I. And uh, I think they've got a real great team that's uh, bought into the philosophy that their coach is preaching. So yeah. I see some similarities in the way their young group has uh, bought in the way Owen Sound has as well. But uh, when you got a player like Sasha Pasajov, uh, you know, he can certainly take them uh, to big places. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Definitely. I will be at the game Wednesday against uh, Cernia, and uh, hopefully we'll see you at the arena really soon, too, as well. I'm sure we will, Chris. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Mark. Have a good night, and we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you. You too. Anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed my podcast tonight with Scott. Uh, sorry, Mark McKelvey. Um, Scott is one of my friends, and I work with him at my current job, but uh, his son, Mark, uh, does a really good job with Rogers TV with the attack and also on the radio in Owen Sound with Fred Wallace as well. Uh, I'm just going to show you a little bit of Mark's uh, work, uh, some of his goal calls with the Owen Sound attack. Just one moment. This is his uh, demo. And I'm just going to play just a little Mercury, couple Mercury, minutes. Coughs it up. Here's Popov. Down low Pearson. Pearson protecting it. Looks to the point. Woldy's got some time. He unloads and miscue. Virgil Jenkins are the referees. Lawson and Harrington, the linesmen. The attack and the Knights. We are underway. Thanks for joining us on Rogers TV. And the faceoff is controlled off the hop by the London Knights. Looking for a big hit nearly going with Brady Lyles. He tried to step up on Guskov. And now here's Carter Robertson with it. Aiden Dudas coming through the middle with the shot. Right pad save made by Miscue as he gets the first save of the hockey game. Puck up into the air, gloved out to center. Played by the attack. That is rookie Denny Gore with it. And Gore back at center is going to drop it for Brady Lyle. Lyle holding on to it in his own zone. Recently became the all-time goals leader by a defenseman in Owen Sound Attack franchise history. Here he comes, Lyle to the front. Dudas tried to bat it out of midair, and he took a swing and a miss. Dudas now rolling up towards the blue line. Lyle slid down the boards, trying to keep the puck in, and Wilms will take it. The former Barry Colt slides it ahead to Billy Moskal. Moskal with one hand pushes it in, but he doesn't get it in far, and Owen Sound's had the good control here in the early going as we play 55 seconds. Lyle waiting as he gets some new teammates out on the ice. Fresh legs. And here's Andrew Parrott who will take control now. Parrott, the former London Knight, sends it up the right wing to Caleb Pearson. He was a hero on Thursday night in Windsor. Pearson rolls it into the corner for Barrett Kerwin. Kerwin being watched, protecting the puck. Stick comes in to sweep it away from him. He falls to the ice, trying to tie up Stekalov, who will go behind the net with it for Merkley. Up the right wing, and Liam Foody is able to chip it out. Andrew Parrott is back to retrieve it for Owen Sound. Pressure on him. As he is facing Luke Evangelista, now he gets it up the left wing, and Sergei Popov, also a former London Knight member, moved it out to center. Caleb Pearson brings in with some speed. Pier Anyways, that clip of uh, Mark's work as play-by-play -play for the Owen Sound Attack, courtesy of Mark uh, McKelvey's uh, YouTube channel as well. Please check Mark out again on social media at Mark. 
14 McKelvey. Really good guy. He uh, He's always prepared for his uh, Rogers TV broadcast with the attack and sometimes with the storm. And uh, he's one of the, he's going to be in the, he's got a bright future in this uh, broadcasting industry as well. So yeah. Anyways, guys, like I said, uh, I'm just going to read comments. Uh, let's see. Uh, hey, Darla. Hey, Chris. Hey, Darla. How are you doing? Thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate it. And uh, like I said, guys, uh, we got some other stuff going on tonight. Uh, we got um, the New England Patriots. We'll try to continue the dominance over the Bills. Um, they uh, meet tonight in a key AFC East matchup on Monday Night Football, 815 kickoff on ESPN, TSN. Patriots are 8 and 4 right now, first in the AFC East, first over on the AFC. And they are 15 and 2 in their last 17 trips to Orchard Park. And uh, They've gone 35 and 8 against the Bills since 2000 under the Belichick and mostly Brady era. So this will be Mac Jones, uh, the rookie quarterback, uh, first ever game at Orchard Park. Looks like it's going to be high winds tonight. Weather is going to be a factor. So we'll see what happens. Uh, anyways, guys, I'm looking forward to that game. And also, guys, just to let you know, uh, the Gulf Storm are back home this Wednesday, December 8th at 7 o'clock face-off against those Sarnia Sting. I will be doing camera work on Rogers TV. Looking forward to that. And if you can't go to the game or watch on Rogers TV, you can listen to Larry Malott on CJOY 1460 from the Sleeman Center against a very tough, hard-working Sarnia Sting team who have beaten the London Knights three times in a row this year. And uh, I'm looking forward to that game on Wednesday, 7 o'clock face-off at the Sleeman Center. And... Uh, the Eagles are now 6-7 and seven after their 33-18 rule win at the New York Jets. They have a bye week this week, and then in two weeks, uh, Sunday, December 19th, they take on the Washington Football Club at the link, uh, 1 p.m. kickoff. So uh, well, hopefully Jalen Hurts, the starting quarterback, will be back then, and hopefully Jason Kelsey, our center, and uh, Miles Sanders uh, will be healthy enough to play in that game as well. Uh, the Birds are right now in a, a fight for a wild card spot in the NFC, and like I said, Nick Serrani, I think, has done a really good job. Uh, the Eagles' offensive line the last six games has been outstanding. Uh, they've been averaging, I think, about 185 yards rushing a game the last six weeks, I guess. So now we just have to get the, the Eagles now. I shouldn't say we. I'm not a part of the Eagles. The Eagles need to get their passing attack going. And, uh, hey, Gardner Minshew. I was solid against the New York Jets, but then again, the New York Jets are not that very good defensively, but the Eagles took care of business against the uh, Jets. Uh, so the Eagles have four games left and uh, two against Washington, one more against the Giants and one more against Dallas. So it ideally, if the Eagles can win all four games, uh, 10 wins should get them into a wild card, but at the very least, uh, the Eagles need to win three out of those four games. So ideally, uh, 10 wins would be perfect to get a wild card spot in the NFC. Uh, but if the Eagles can at least go three and one, nine wins. I don't honestly think eight wins, eight wins or seven wins are going to get you in the playoffs. So to me, the Eagles need to win minimum three out of the last four games. And they're all against NFC East uh, rivals as well. And just before I go, guys, I just want to say thank you to everybody watching live on my YouTube channel. Facebook, Twitter at Christy Pommy. I really appreciate that. And uh, like I said, guys, I'm just going to also put this on like I do every podcast live with CDP podcast. Audio version is downloaded to go Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, CastBox, and my LinkedIn page as well. 
Also, you can follow me at TikTok at Live with CDP. That's at Live with CDP. I post a lot of uh, digital content and uh, promo promos for my podcast there as well. And that brings me to my next podcast, guys. It won't be for another week, but I'm going to announce this right now. I've already talked to this gentleman. So uh, next Live with CDP podcast is going to be next Monday, December 13th, 4 o'clock Eastern. The legendary public address announcer for the NHL St. Louis Blues, Tom Cahoon, who has been the PA announcer since 1987. And I don't believe he's missed a Blues game since he took over as their public address announcer in 1987. He's going to come on and talk about his 40-year career in the St. Louis radio market, especially with KMOX, and his long career with the uh, St. Louis Blues since 1987. I'm looking forward to that and maybe talking to him about seeing Wayne Gretzky as a Blue and uh, Alan McKenna's, Brett Hall, Adam Oates. Uh, Bernie Federico, those great players he's seen over the years there, and also working at the uh, old St. Louis Arena, the barn, uh, before they moved into the uh, Kiel Center, which is now the Enterprise Center in St. Louis. So I hope you guys can all turn into my uh, next live with CDP podcast again next Monday, December 13th, 4 p.m. The legendary PA announcer for the NHL St. Louis Blues, Tom Calhoun, will be uh, on uh, live with CDP to talk about his career in radio in St. Louis and some uh, St. Louis blues hockey and his long career uh, there as well all right anyways again i want to say thank you to mark mckelvey for coming on and talking some ohl and Owen sound attack hockey and his career with us and uh i just say thank you again everyone watching on my youtube channel please subscribe if you haven't already and also live watching on facebook live and also guys twitter at christy Pame if you'd like to follow me there as well so anyways, guys, if I do another podcast this week, I will give you guys heads up notice. But otherwise, we'll see you guys next Monday at 4 o'clock Eastern with Tom Cahoon from the St. Louis Blues, the longtime PA announcer. Again, thank you all for watching or listening to Live with CDP podcast. Have a great evening. Enjoy the Patriots-Bills game. And we'll see you guys in another week or even maybe sooner possibly. All right. Take care. Good night.